Thank you for listening to Weekly Wisdom, the podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Haddonfield, New Jersey. This episode is a sermon by Reverend Marvin Lindsay based on selected verses in Matthew chapter 5 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The sermon is about conflict in the church, what causes it, and how it can be diffused and turned to the advantage of Christians. We hope you'll enjoy it. The campfire song, We Are One in the Spirit, says that they'll know we are Christians by our love. Has anyone ever sang that song around the campfire at some youth gathering days that went by? They will know we are Christians by our love, but the unfortunate truth is that we Christians are often known for our fights and squabbles and not for our love. And, you know, in the last uh, decade or two, Christians have made themselves famous for arguing and disagreeing strongly over everything from ordination standards and the definition of marriage to worship styles to uh, how to address clergy misconduct. Uh, And then the pandemic came, and that opened up a whole new can of worms, when and how to regather for in-person worship, whether to mask or not wear a mask, many other sorts of issues. All of these things over the last couple of decades have given Christians a whole lot of heartburn, and they have generated a lot of negative publicity for churches in our society. So let's talk about conflict today. <laughs> no, let's talk about the Eagles. Let's talk about something. Let's talk about something fun. Let's talk about conflict today because uh, both of the passages of Scripture that we just heard sort of set the table for that kind of conversation. There is an author and church consultant named Steve Leeds, and he wrote a little book that identified five levels of conflict in the church. And so I just want to share this with you for a, a moment. Level one is you have a problem to be solved. You know, it could be a little problem, it could be a big problem, but it just stays that the problem to be solved. Level two is disagreement. Well, I think we should solve this problem this way. Really? Oh, well, I think we should solve this problem that way. That's, that's level two. Level three conflict is a contest where people who have different ideas about how to solve a problem become somewhat emotionally invested in the outcome. There are winners and there are losers, and the winners feel good and the losers feel bad about whatever decision is made. Level four is the fight or flight stage of conflict. And this is where usually uh, presbyteries or higher governing authorities or you know, sometimes journalists and the media get involved. People leave the church because of the degree of conflict there. Or people withhold their giving in order to get their way. That's level four. And then level five is when the goal isn't merely to win, it's to destroy your opponent. And so at level five conflict, we're talking about lawsuits, we're talking about criminal charges, maybe even violent behavior. Unfortunately, there are some congregations that have gone to that degree of conflict. Now, there's a Unitarian pastor named uh, Renee Ruhotsky, and she says there might be a sixth level of conflict, and she doesn't know whether to number it zero or six, and that's when the congregation is so depressed and so um, exhausted, maybe from previous conflicts, that there's no energy to come up with an idea worth disagreeing over. And, uh, so, and so she makes that point in order to say that the goal of conflict management is not to make conflict go away, but to keep it in that one or two range, maybe three at the most, 
where Christians are identifying problems, where Christians are coming up with creative solutions, different creative solutions, and they're addressing these uh, potential solutions in a loving spirit and implementing them in a loving, collaborative spirit so that we are known for our love in society and not for our litigiousness or our nastiness. And this is where the scripture lessons can help us out. Both Jesus and Paul offer counsel on conflict resolution, but they approach the situation from different angles. Jesus addresses the role that anger plays in conflicts, and Paul addresses the problem that factions play in disputes in churches. And both agree that an important solution to the conflict is to remember above all that it is Christ who is head of the church. Not you, not me, not any one of us. And to seek the mind of Christ in everything that we say and in everything that we do. So let me start with the gospel lesson and Jesus' words to his disciples from the Sermon on the Mount. He begins by quoting one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill, or in this translation, you shall not murder. And then he adds another phrase from the Hebrew Scriptures. Anyone who murders are liable to judgment. But then he adds, if you get angry with another person, you're liable to judgment. Anger is the wellspring of many violent acts. And anger actually puts us all on thin ice. Whether our anger uh, winds up generating an act of violence or whether it generates some sort of other bad behavior. Now, it's not that we're forbidden from feeling anger. I mean, that, that would be, I think, a requirement that is beyond the ability of any human being to keep. And after all, Paul says in a different letter uh, to the church in Ephesus that he says, Be angry, but do not sin, and do not let the anger, uh, do not let the sun set on your anger. So be angry, but then deal with it, and don't allow it to fester. Because when it does fester, when it does linger, then... Bad things can generate, be generated from it. Insults can follow, for instance. And apparently Jesus doesn't subscribe to that saying that I was sharing with the kids earlier, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Apparently Jesus treats words on a par with behavior. And hurtful words, Jesus says, render us just as liable to judgment as hurtful behavior. If you uh, insult someone... You're liable to the council. That means in Jesus' context, you may be uh, called before the leaders of the congregation that you were a part of. And if you call someone a fool, well, then you put yourself in danger of going to hell. That seems a little over the top, doesn't it? I I mean, uh, you know, questioning someone's intelligence is going to send me to the fire just as much as if I put, uh, pulled out a gun and shot them? That, that doesn't really seem fair. That doesn't seem equitable. Well, I was doing a little work on the sermon this week, and I read an article by a New Testament scholar named Don Garlington, and he's offered an interesting take on why a fool is such a problematic insult for Jesus. He points out that in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus uses the word fool a lot. And he uses it to refer to people who are outside the kingdom. People who have not taken Jesus' words to heart and built their lives on them. Or people who have uh, not 
have been negligent in preparing for the coming of the kingdom. Fools are those people who are outside the bounds of the kingdom of God. When we call someone else a fool, what Jesus means is he's talking about times when we become so angry with a brother or sister in Christ that we declare that they are no Christian at all. That we declare that they are heretics, apostates, unbelievers, that they're going to hell. And Jesus says that is wrong because the keys of the kingdom belong to him. And if we try to pick his pocket and take those keys and declare for ourselves the right to admit some people to heaven and deny other people eternal life, then we have overstepped our authority in a very serious way. In short, no one is closer to hell than people who think they know who's going to hell. That's what Jesus says means when he says, if you call someone a fool, you're liable to the hell of fire. So, Jesus continues. If they're passing the offering plate at church, and you're about to put your offering in, or if you're at home online and you're going to give uh, through Realm, and you remember that your hurtful words are being held against you by someone else in the congregation, if you remember that time when you shot your mouth off or when you exploded at someone, then don't hit the pay button on Realm. Let the offering plate go by. I can't believe I'm saying this, but this is what Jesus is saying. Let the offering plate go by. Go and be reconciled to the person who is hurt by your words. And then come back and put something in the offering plate. Then come back and become a more active and involved member of the church. So it's something for us to think about. Have, have our words hurt other people? Have, have we flown off the handle at someone? Now, have we insulted a fellow disciple or even questioned their salvation? If we have done these things, then we need to be mindful of the fact that we have to reconcile with them before we can be reconciled with God. And to the extent that we can reconcile with that other person, we need to pursue those sets of behaviors. We need to own the uh, thing that we said, ask, uh, say that we're sorry, and ask for forgiveness. And when we reconcile with our sister or brother in Christ, then we can be assured that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the gospel lesson. Let's turn now to this interesting letter that Paul writes to the Corinthian congregation. Paul was the organizing pastor of this church in Corinth. And after he departed from Corinth to do missionary activity in other cities, there was a man named Apollos who assumed a leadership role in the Corinthian church. And the congregation seems to have divided in their loyalties to these uh, two leaders of the church in Corinth. One reason, perhaps, was because the two had very different styles. And maybe one style appealed to certain people and another style appealed to other people. Paul was not the world's greatest public speaker. His preaching was rough-hewn. It was low-brow. It didn't impress anyone for its rhetorical skills. But Paul, in another passage early in 1 Corinthians, explains that his rough-hewn preaching was by design. He didn't want to overshadow the message of the cross. Uh, in Paul's case, he thought that form follows function, and to talk about the shameful death of Jesus on the cross as the way that God chooses to reconcile the world to God should 
be accompanied by preaching that is as rough and as simple as the message of the word of the cross. He also explains that as he was converting the Corinthians to faith in Jesus Christ, he had to start with the basics. You know, milk for infants, solid food for older children. Paul, uh, Apollos, on the other hand, was known for his very gifted rhetorical skills. He was an excellent uh, public speaker, and he was able to defend the faith uh, before its critics, and he was able to increase the faith of those who were in the church. Paul and Apollos, in other words, had different tasks to perform, and they had different roles to accomplish in the life cycle of the congregation. To divide into factions over Paul and Apollos makes about as much sense as having an argument about who was your better instructor, your preschool teacher or your college professor. You, well, the answer is yes, right? Maybe your college professor can't sing the wheels on the bus go round and round. And maybe the preschool teacher can't do calculus or you know an in-depth dive into American history. They have different roles, but they serve the same purpose and the same function. And Paul says, that's the case with me, and that's the case with Apollos. And there's no point in forming personality cults or cliques or factions around me and around him. But there's a deeper problem. Factions displace God and Christ from their rightful role as the head of the church. As Paul says in the scripture reading, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Each of us has a task. Each of us is given a gift by the Holy Spirit to strengthen the church. But credit for the growth and the vitality of the church belongs to God alone. When we divide into rival factions, and when we rally around human leaders, and when we develop little personality cults, we fail to give God the glory, and we fail to give God the credit for the well-being of Christ's church, and the church becomes just another human organization, rather than the people of God who are entrusted with the message that God has reconciled the world to God's self in Jesus Christ. In another passage, Paul asked the Corinthians, well, if you're divided, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? These are rhetorical questions. The obvious answer is no. Because Christ is one, his body on earth must be one. And because Christ is our Savior, no human being in the church can command our ultimate loyalty. The fact that the church in Corinth is divided is proof that they have not matured all that much since Paul departed from them. Paul first fed them with uh, mother's milk, with the basics of the faith. And they still need milk, apparently, and not solid food. Factionalism, Paul hints, is childish. The Corinthians, in short, need to grow up. So if we are to keep our conflicts and our disagreements in the range of creative problem solving and not let them escalate into out-and-out -out fighting, then let us be inspired by Jesus' and Paul's words about these situations. First word is this, thou shalt manage thy anger. That's a corollary to thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt manage thy anger. Don't shoot your mouth off in the heat of the moment. Do what your grandmother taught you to do and do what we worked on with the children this morning. Take a deep breath. Actually, let's all do that right now. 
Feel better, right? Take a deep breath and count to ten. Your grandmother's uh, folk wisdom has been confirmed by science. Scientists will tell you that when you breathe deeply, you activate your parasympathetic nervous system. This is the part of your nervous system that helps you calm down after you've been in a state of alert. It helps you to digest your food. Rest and digest, say the scientists. And when you breathe deeply, you force your body to be calm. And then you're able to use your words in a way that are calming and that are supportive and that are loving and not angry and hurtful and divisive. Above all, however, let Christ be the head of the church. Let Christ be the head of the church. Hold outcomes to conflicts a little bit loosely. Remember that even if you don't get your way, the church still belongs to Jesus Christ. And it's not for you to avenge wrongs. It's for Christ to do that. And a second way for the church to be known by its love is to appreciate the diversity of roles and gifts and strengths in the church. Paul wasn't a gifted preacher. He was, you know, he was not very good in the pulpit. But he was a great evangelist. He was a great evangelist. He was the greatest evangelist the world has ever known. Apollos was a talented orator. He could hold people spellbound with his talks about scripture and about Christ. But he never organized a church before. He never founded a new congregation. When we elevate certain people and certain gifts over others, then the seeds for conflict are sown. Elitism breeds factions. And factions do the unthinkable. They divide Christ and they take him down from the throne, his rightful place as head of the church. Mature Christians value everyone and every role. Elite Christians are childish. To the extent that they look down on some, they show how much growth is still in store for them. So let me conclude this morning by asking a couple of questions. What if churches were known for their members' seasoned and measured and loving words and affirming and supportive spirit? What if that was what made headlines these days? What if we solved problems and hashed out disagreements peaceably and creatively under the lordship of Jesus Christ? We would be in a position to offer a violent and polarized world what Paul calls a more excellent way, the way of love. And as Paul says in that famous passage in another part of 1 Corinthians, love does not insist on its own way. May it be so with us. In the name of the one who is and who was and who is to come. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review this podcast so that we can reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. To support our ministry, go to www.haddonfieldprez.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the page. Grace and peace be with you.